It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Mr. President, we have a national emergency. This is one of the things that we can shoot first and ask questions later. Uh, Normally you can't do that. All of a sudden these trees started moving out of the way. They parted for me. And then I came out into this opening and there where I saw Jesus Christ. Your host, W. Dean Shook, is on the air. the W. Dean Shook Program. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Get your first 30 days of the Audible Listener Gold Membership Plan free. It includes one credit, which in most cases, one credit equals one audiobook. Now, after your 30-day free trial, your membership will automatically renew each month for just $14.95. With your membership, you will receive 
one credit per month, plus members-only discounts on all audio purchases. Members also receive one audiobook per month. Membership saves up to 30% on additional purchases. Save up to 75% on all CD audio retail prices, plus a free daily audio subscription to the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. Now with over 100,000 titles to choose from, all compatible with your iPod, iPhone, Android, Kindle, BlackBerry, and over 500 MP3 devices. Get your free trial today at audiotrial.com slash shook. That's audibletrial.com slash shook. Now hear our program on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and more. It's on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Very frank discussion tonight. I hope you've uh, I hope you've got your ears on because this is going to be good. All right, tonight's program is about abortion. I've done programs on abortion before. This is a very contentious, uh, controversial subject for some people. For others, this is cut and dried. There's no controversy about it. It seems that uh, America is having a fundamental shift where abortion is not as popular as it used to be. And we're going to discuss um, its popularity and the reasons it may be changing. We've also um, got some startling facts um, and some things that you may not have realized. So I hope there's uh, some listeners who are either on the fence about abortion or say that it's okay in some instances. And I hope that there's uh, some pro-choice people who are listening. Because I'm going to uh, I'm going to give some straightforward facts. Um, it, it, and it, uh, you know, let me tell you up front, this is going to be very difficult for me to keep my personal opinion out of this. As most of you know, for those of you who listen to me on a regular basis, you know that abortion is something that um, that really touches me deep. Um, this is uh, uh, this is just heartbreaking for me, and, and I really feel a calling to talk about abortion uh, as much as possible. Um, and. I'm going to tell everyone up front right now, I'm a dedicated Christian. Um, however, I, I don't want to um, necessarily uh, be taken as this being a totally Christian view because the fact is that what abortion is, when you're taking another human life and making it legal for a parent to take the life of a child, whether it's born or unborn, um, affects everyone, no matter what your religion or lack of. So even if you're not religious, for everyone, there's something inside you that that 
that clicks when you hear about an unborn baby being killed. Most people don't want to think about it. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to hear about it. They just have a general generic surface opinion that says that uh, a, a woman should have a right because we're in a political, uh, uh, politically correct uh, mind frame in this country over the last few years, and, and it's getting more politically correct all the time. And for a lot of people who are committed to being politically correct, uh, this is something that they have to include in order to maintain their political correctness. Um, and, uh, it, and, and they do that on a regular basis. However, for everyone, no matter who you are or how you think about this, the fact is that when you go to bed at night and you're the only one uh, you're the only one there, and you you close your eyes, and you pull those covers up, and the lights go out, and the only thing you see is the back of your eyelid, and the only thing that's there is is you. You know abortion's not right, and that nobody has the right to take a human life. Now, now I, I, I'm going to tell you throughout this program when I tell when I'm giving you my personal opinion. Other than that, I'm going to back everything up with credible news, stories, facts, statistics, and uh, I have a lot of sound bites here. So we're going to go through this systematically. We're going to go through this credibly, and when my personal opinion starts coming out, I'm going to stop myself and say this is my personal opinion. So let's make sure that we're absolutely clear on that. Um, now, some people uh, show up a little bit late, which is okay as long as you show up. Um, so for everyone who's listening on the Blog Talk Radio Network and everyone listening on the Spreaker Radio Network, um, welcome. And thank you for everyone who's listening through your web browsers, search engines, and, um, one of the many podcast services, um, you folks in iTunes, uh, whether you're listening through one of the social medias, uh, MySpace, Facebook, Twitter, uh, welcome to all of you. Stick with me through this whole thing. Um, I think if you'll do that, we're all going to learn a little something-something here. So uh, I'm going to give a couple minutes for everyone to get here. Let me play a uh, quick song. And when the song comes back, we're going to start with understanding how the, the, the shift in America is moving away from abortion. And we're going to go through uh, some of the facts of that before we start getting into some of the meatier meat of our discussion. As this goes on, uh, I've also uh, got proof that the founder of Planned Parenthood, and we're going to talk about Planned Parenthood and uh, the way they operate, um, their funding, um, the fact that uh, uh, state and federal funds um, are actually going towards abortion, and I'll show you how. You know, when I say that, there's a lot of people out here who are saying, no, it doesn't. You're throwing your arms up in the air, and you're kicking your feet, and you're saying our money doesn't go for abortions. Well, you know what? Stay tuned, because I'm going to give you facts. So uh, don't go away. Let me play this song, um, and I'll come right back, and we'll just start our discussion. Thank you again, and don't forget, you can all email me if you'd like. Um, and my email is contact at wdeanshook.com. Um, you can also get me through um, 
the submission form on my webpage, which is wdeanshook.com. Just one word, wdeanshook.com. Um, or direct email is contact at wdeanshook.com. We'll be right back.
Grant, to all of our regular listeners, for all of our new listeners. Thank you so much for that. I had to wait for that little ding-ding there. Thank you, everyone, um, all of our regular listeners, our new listeners. Um, everyone that's here for the first time, please hang in there. We're going to have a wonderful discussion that you may agree or disagree with. I'm not going to give out the phone number because I'm probably not going to take any calls tonight. Um, we have some people that call in regularly, and I see there's some people in the switchboard. But, um, you know, let's hold off on the calls maybe later. Um, if the switchboard gets too heavy, maybe maybe I'll take some. We'll see how that goes. So we're, uh, we're going to start our discussion by understanding the shift on abortion in America. And... I want to I want to understand this shift before we start talking about the statistics and before we start talking about uh uh some of the other things that are frankly going to take you by surprise. I'm going to I'm going to tell you some things about the beginning of planned parenthood, um the goal behind it, their mission statement. This is going to shock you. And I'm not gonna, I'm not only going to tell you about the facts, but I'm going to back it up with with uh sound clips um, that, that's going to back this up. This is going to be shocking. A lot of people don't don't know the origins of Planned Parenthood, so we're we're going to get into that too. So the, you know the abortion debate is is a is a shape shifter. Its contours are twisted by politics and culture and timing. The very language that people like pollsters use when they ask people how they feel. Um, that's exactly what they do. They they twist it and, and say certain things that will bring on certain responses. So let me give you some some examples. When the folks at Gallup announced for the first time that more Americans are pro-life than pro-choice, there there was all kinds of ways to misunderstand what that means. Now, first and foremost are the labels which cloud the issues by simplifying it. That's why the, the advocates picked them. Now, most people are neither pro-choice nor pro-life, but both. They say, we cherish life. We value choice. Hmm. And we trade them off. Now, good, good luck explaining this to someone who's um, politically requesting a, a binary answer when they do a poll and call you up on the phone or ask you in person, you know, they, they don't give you that kind of choice. They say, are you this or are you that? And they, and they only give you a, a very narrow window that, to answer that. You're, you're never really able to explain. But if we place any stock at all in those labels, you know, pro-choice or, or uh, pro uh, pro-life, or the, if we place any stock in those, something dramatic has happened. In 1995, when Gallup started asking the question, the split was 56-33 in favor of abortion rights. Now the lines have crossed. 51% call themselves pro-life, while only 42% say they're pro-choice. And this is a shift that stretches past personal convictions and into legal constraints. Now, for 35 years, a majority of Americans have, have wanted abortion to be 
essentially legal with limits. But the, the movement toward greater restraint has become very clear. You know, in the mid-90s, when pro-choice forces were especially dominant, only 12% of believers believed abortion was always wrong. Now that, that number has nearly doubled. And at each extreme, slightly more people now believe abortion should be illegal under all circumstances. 23% then legal under all circumstances. And 22% say under some circumstances. So what's up with this change? When Gallup attributes the new numbers to Republicans purifying their views, now 70% now call themselves pro-life. That's up nearly 10 points a year. But that's to be expected. When fewer people call themselves Republicans, the, the party condenses into a pool of, uh, I guess you could say, true believers. Now, it's the people in the middle who are constantly weighing which restrictions are reasonable. Now, a new poll finds that while a majority of independents say abortion should be legal in most cases, as recently as October, only 44% do now. This may inspire some um, some different views uh, that might be political. Um, it may have something to do with the operatives in both parties who attribute to Republican uh, presently, um, you know, uh, more purified in their thoughts. The GOP may have uh, fielded some hapless messengers. Um, but their message, on abortion at least, may be closer to the mainstream than Democrats will acknowledge. And it is becoming mainstream in increasing numbers all the time. Now, Democrats are going to tell you and progressives are going to tell you just the opposite. They're going to say, no, that's not true, but it, but it really is. The numbers don't lie. So I, I, I think the numbers inadequate and simplified, though they may be, reflect deeper changes. Some legal, some uh, technological. Uh, people under 30 are more opposed to abortion than those who are older, um, perhaps because their first baby pictures were often taken in utero, you know, through, um, um, through ultrasounds. And they have pictures of themselves as a living, breathing human being in their mother's womb. And these are people who are looking at at uh, utero pictures of themselves, you know, and and saying to themselves at that time, well, you know, this this is a picture, an ultrasound of me when I was in my mother's womb, and I am very much a human, and I was human then too. And, and they're they're connecting the dots, they're putting this together, so these these younger people are are in increasing numbers, realizing that an unborn baby is a human being. It's not a blob of goo that can just be sucked out at any time with no consequences. So, you know, it makes me wonder if younger women are now uh, sure enough of their sexual autonomy and their choices generally that they don't view limits on abortion as a tax on overall freedom. You know, which in the past 
uh, with the women's rights movement and um, all of that stuff, it was an attack on overall freedom. But, you know, this is like I said in the beginning of the program, nobody really has the freedom to kill another human being, um, especially an innocent human being. Let, let me stress that. Uh, because you know there are cases where the the death penalty is is appropriate. So uh, the the calculation of rights um, ha are sh are shifting, and the fetus, as it develops, asserts its claim on the conscience. Now, of course, anti-abortion activists who've tried to make this issue more intimate. Nebraska being the latest one to debate um, all activists called the window to the womb laws, which require the woman to be shown an ultrasound of the fetus before going ahead with the abortion. The Missouri Senate just passed a bill that would require doctors to talk about a fetus developing and its ability to feel pain. Opponents of informed consent laws that talk about fetal pain, warn that doing so could cause the woman pain and call it cause it uh, emotional blackmail. Emotional blackmail to talk about the baby that's in you. But still, there's no doubt this battlefield has shifted and most obviously has political context. <clears throat> now, abortion has forever been blown by by electoral trade winds, if you will. Uh, when the right was in charge, people feared the return of coat hangers in back alleys, and we're going to talk about that later. Now that the left leads, they fear abo abortion will be uh, beyond demand, that every meaning of the label adjusts, and, and calling yourself pro-choice at a time when a liberal Democrat and allies in Congress are lifting abortion restraints may imply no qualms at all. And that there's, there's – everything is acceptable. You know, the, the president appeared to understand the – when he spoke at Notre Dame addressing the possibility of common ground and a need for open hearts and open minds and fair-minded words. And protesters were gathered outside. I don't know if you remember this. The issue of the Catholic University honoring a pro-choice president had rolled all over this campus for weeks. But rather than defend his position on the issue or even explain it, Obama talked about how how to uh, talk about it. He said, I do not suggest that the debate surrounding abortion can or should go away, he said, because no matter how we may uh, want to fudge it, indeed, while we know that the views of most Americans on the subject are complex and even contradictory, the fact is that at some level the views of two camps are irreconcilable. Each side will continue to make its case to the public with passion and conviction, but surely we can do so without reducing those with differing views. Hmm. Well, you can tell Mr. Obama isn't interested in, in a culture war, huh? He has He's left gay marriage to the states, hmm. even though on the side he promotes it. The Democrats say that he's dropped 
family planning money for the stimulus bill, only under pressure. He refused to fund needle exchange programs in order to tamp down the anger. Now, according to uh, according to everyone else, uh, he has always said that Mr. Obama has always said that his administration um, was pro-life, although his actions say just the opposite. And then when he thinks the political winds are shifting, then everything changes. Then all of a sudden he has a different view. Now, what in the beginning when he was pro-life, he was trying to gain the votes of conservatives when he was running for election. But now he seems to have a different view. Let's see what he says now. For you and for most Americans, protecting women's health is a mission that stands above politics. And yet over the past year, you've had to stand up to politicians who want to deny millions of women the care they rely on and inject themselves into decisions that are best made between a woman and her doctor. Let's be clear here. Women are not an interest group. They're mothers and daughters and sisters and wives. They're half of this country, and they're perfectly capable of making their own choices about their health. So we're grateful that through it all, you never forgot who you're fighting for. The woman with a new lease on life because a mammogram caught her cancer in time. The woman who can sleep easier at night because of a cervical cancer screening. The woman who was able to choose when to start a family because she could afford contraception. So when some professional politicians casually say that they'll get rid of Planned Parenthood, don't forget what they're really talking about. Eliminating the funding for preventive care that millions of women rely on and leaving them to fend for themselves. That's why last year, when Republicans in Congress threatened to shut down the government unless we stopped funding Planned Parenthood, I had a simple answer. No. But we know this debate is far from over. We must continue to send a message loud and clear. If you truly value families, you shouldn't play politics with a woman's health. That's why I know that Planned Parenthood will continue providing care no matter what. I know you'll never stop fighting to protect the health care and the choices that America's women deserve. And as long as I have the privilege of being your president, neither will I. Thanks. Health care and choices. Is that what uh, Planned Parenthood provides? Is Planned Parenthood the provider for, for women's health care? Hmm. Well, according to the defenders of Planned Parenthood, they say that this whole thing that Planned Parenthood provides, along with the abortions, are all about women's health. Well, Let's take a look at Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is not an entity all of its own. Planned Parenthood, besides itself, has 122 affiliates. And these 122 affiliates manage 850 health care centers, quote unquote. Now, Planned Parenthood, and no one can deny this, is the largest abortion provider in the country. 
That's Planned Parenthood, its 122 affiliates that manage 850 health centers. And these 850 health centers are separate from Planned Parenthood, not separate as in uh, separate entities, but on top of the number of Planned Parenthoods. So this number of 850 is much, much, probably double that around this country of these quote-unquote health centers. Largest uh, abortion provider in the country. Now, for every quarter of a million abortions, for every 250,000 abortions that they do, 1,414 adoption referrals were made. This is less than six for every 1,000 abortions. This is not about offering choice. This is about performing abortions. Now, it's reported in one quarter, Planned Parenthood made $810 million. One-third of that came from you, the taxpayer. One-third came from clinic activities. One-quarter of it came from private donors. Now, abortions cost between $350 and $950 each. If you average it out by the number of abortions performed, the income from just abortions alone would come to $128 million a quarter. A quarter. You know, and and the, the, the type of health care services that they want to provide are things like telling you how to have safe sex. Okay, I, I can't argue with that as long as they're talking to adults, but they're not just talking to adults. They're also wanting to go into our schools and tell our schools. Well, you know, I gave an example one before that uh, I'm in Oregon, and in Oregon, Oregon produced a 10-year plan for the homeless to get the homeless off of the streets and back into society into a working productive and a working productive way. And they they started all of these programs for the homeless to feed them, provide them showers, to give them. Uh, uh, places to sleep, to provide them with clothes, um, to just a just a plethora of programs, all to to go to the homeless, and, and that's a good thing. You know, I don't disagree with that. That's a very good thing. But what happened was, since a, a, the majority of people choose to be homeless, they choose to live that way. The word got out, and when the word got out through Northern California and Central California and um, Arizona and Utah and other places that have a significant homeless population, they heard that, that Oregon takes very good care of their homeless population. So th they started coming to Oregon. Well, Oregon's homeless population then during this 10-year program with all of these programs for the homeless increased. And the number of homeless in Oregon almost doubled. So they said, well, apparently we're not doing enough because more people became homeless. So they started another 10-year program. 
during this next 10-year program where they added even more programs to it. What happened? The word got out, and the homeless population went up again. Mm. So apparently, when you enable people to do whatever it is they're doing, the number of them doing it increases. When Planned Parenthood wants to go into our elementary schools and our junior high schools and start telling kids how to have safe sex, start telling them that it doesn't have to be the traditional vaginal sex, that that there's other methods and other places you can – do I need to go into detail? They start talking about oral sex and anal sex and – uh, telling them that there's plenty of other ways to do this, and, and they pass out condoms, and they tell them about contraception. They say homosexuality is okay. There's no risk of pregnancy there. And, and as they do this, the number of underage kids not only come up with questions that they don't understand, but the number of them having sex increases. And then they're passing out condoms and contraception on top of that. They're enabling them to do it. The, the result of enabling people to do this is the same result that, that happened here in Oregon with the homeless population. The more you enable them, the more do it. And the same thing happens with Planned Parenthood. When they want to go into our schools and do this very same thing, then you start enabling them and you start telling them these things. And I just watched a video where Planned Parenthood is now recruiting summer activities to have these big uh, jamborees where they're going to teach all of our kids about everything. And during this commercial, they showed about a five- or six-year-old girl asking why she doesn't have a penis. How does a five- or six-year-old girl even know about this? They think their opinion, it, no matter what you think as a parent, their opinion is they need to know this, so they're going to tell them whether you like it or not. And that's that's when Planned Parenthood also went into the schools and started offering abortions without parental consent and without parental knowledge. So your child in junior high can go have an abortion, and the parents would never know. They would have a possibly life-threatening procedure without the parents ever knowing anything about it. So how did this underage girl get pregnant? Was it dad? Was it brother? Was it uh, uncle? Was it neighbor? Was it a stranger? Do the parents deserve to know this or not? That's something we have to ask ourselves. All right. <clears throat> I want to cover <clears throat> I want to cover something else here. And that is some abortion statistics. Now facts and figures that I'm going to go through here are, are relating to America, how abortion is big around the world. M uh, make no mistake about that. Even though in America we murder more than more than one million unborn babies a year, a year, and we've been doing this for about the last 50 years. There has been well over 50 million unborn babies killed through abortion in the last 50 years. So let's go through some of these stats. 
We're going to go through annual abortion stats. Now, the last time they did these stats, uh, these stats were so scary, they did it in 2008, and they just don't want to do it anymore because it turns people away from abortion when they hear this stuff. And, and we're also going to talk about funding. You know, People say, well, my federal and state dollars do not go for funding, and they don't go to Planned Parenthood. Well, I beg your pardon, they do. And I've talked about this before. I'm going to, I'm going to explain this again, how, how they use this fuzzy math to actually do this. So Planned Parenthood goes, and this is the method that they use both at a federal level and at a state level. They go in front of Congress, and whether it's state or federal, and they'll go in front of the federal Congress, and they'll say, none of the taxpayer money that you're funding that comes to us is used directly for abortions. And they're absolutely right. That's true. So for those of you who are foaming at the mouth because I said that, um, it's true. I'll say it. It's true. It doesn't go directly toward abortions. So, But what do they do? What do they do with that taxpayer money? What they do with it is they take that taxpayer money and they pay all the bills with it. And that frees up. Remember we talked a few minutes ago about how much money they make, them and their affiliates. How much they make in a quarter, $128 million in a quarter. And, and they're making this money with, with no bills to pay. All of the bills are paid with taxpayer money so that they can go in front of Congress and say legitimately that none of your federal funds go directly toward abortion. So they pay all the bills with that. They take that $128 million a quarter, and all of that goes towards abortions instead of having to pay any bills with all of that. And with that, they're giving away free abortions to anybody who can't afford it. And people can go in there and, and just say, I have no income, I'm unemployed, I've already got four kids. They don't check on anything. They say, great, hop up on the table, let's get this done. They don't check on it, they don't, uh, nothing. They just pass them out. And it's the same thing is happening on the state level. So in, in 2008, the last time that they took these stats, approximately in 2008, and this number has increased, 1.21 million abortions took place in the United States. 1.21 million. In 2008, the highest number of reported abortions occurred in New York with 124,000 for the state of New York. New York City had 89,000 in one year. 89,000 in one year. Florida aborted 86,000 babies in one year. Texas, yeah, you folks in Texas, 81,366. South Dakota, only aborted 848. North Dakota, only 1,386. Idaho, only 1,481. Now, I want you to listen to these stats because what we're going to talk about next with the founder and the, found, the, um, the goal of that was originally set up for Planned Parenthood is going to relate to this. So pay attention to these stats. I'll go over them again real quick. Remember this because we're going to come back to this in just a few minutes. 2008, 
New York State of New York, 124,000. New York City, 89,000. Florida, 86,000. Texas, 81,000. South Dakota, 848. North Dakota, 1,386. Idaho, 1,481. Why such drastic different numbers? Why are these numbers so incredible? Is it population? Is it cultural? We're going to talk about that. Remember these numbers. Where the biggest numbers are, are in the biggest cities. The ratio by state ranged from as low as 59 abortions per 1,000 live births. That's in Idaho and Wyoming to a high of 732 abortions for every 1,000 life births, which is close to 50%. The annual number of legal induced abortions in the United States doubled between 1973 and 1979. There was a, and pay attention to this, who has abortions? Let's see who has abortions. Now, remember this, too, because what we're going to talk about next also will apply to this. In 2008, 84.3% of all abortions were performed on unmarried women. Women living with a partner to whom they are not married accounted for 25% of abortions, but only 10% of women in the um, – um, in the population were, let's see, what does this say? Only 10% of women in the population were part of that 25%. So women between the ages of 20 and 24 obtained 33% of all abortions. Women between 25 and 29 got 24% of all abortions. Now women aged 20 to 29 had the highest abortion rates, 29.6 abortions per 1,000. Women aged 20 to 24 had 21 abortions per 1,000. And 50% of women obtaining abortions are younger than 25. Women aged 20 to 24 obtained 33% of all abortions, and teenagers made up 17%. Adolescents under 15 years obtained 0.5% of all abortions, but had the highest abortion ratio, 821 abortions for every 1,000 live births. So what does that, what does that number mean? That means that, that adolescents under 15 years old, even though the numbers were smaller for every 1,000 live births, 821 of those, it had a corresponding number of 821 that were aborted. So this means a total of 1,821 pregnancies in this number, almost half were aborted. 70 or 47% of women who have abortions had at least one previous abortion. Now listen to this. Black women are more likely, 4.8 times more likely, than non-Hispanic white women to have an abortion. Hispanic women are 2.7 times as likely. The abortion rate of non-metropolitan women in half of the women who live in metropolitan counties, 
or what these numbers apply to. Now, the abortion rate of, uh, of women with uh, Medicaid coverage is three times as high as that of other women. So people who are on Medicaid coverage, Medicaid being some sort of uh, you know, welfare, uh, some sort of assistance, are three times as high as other women. 37% of women obtaining abortions identify themselves as Protestant. 28% identify themselves as Catholic. At current rates, nearly one-third of American women will have an abortion. So why are abortions performed? Well, you know what? It, it, this, this, is, <laughs> this, is where, this is where it kind of gets uh, a little dicey. And it gets dicey here for this reason. Because they're now, even though they're not supposed to, they're now performing abortions according to what's called gendercide. And gendercide is where people are getting abortions because the gender of the baby is not what they want. If they're counting on having a boy and it ends up being a girl, they're saying, well, you know, let's abort this baby and try again until we get what we want, which is going to be a boy. This, this one's a girl. We want a boy. So let's abort this one. Now, I want to make sure that um, everyone knows this is not my opinion. Listen to this. Over 100 million girls who would be alive today have been killed for no other reason than the fact that they were girls. This practice is called gendercide, and experts say that it is happening in abortion clinics in America today. In April 2012, the nation's biggest abortion provider, Planned Parenthood, attempted to address growing concern that it may be facilitating gendercide and providing sex-selective abortions by stating, Gender bias is contrary to everything our organization works for. Planned Parenthood condemns sex selection motivated by gender bias. The very same month, however, live action uncovered an entirely different story in Planned Parenthood clinics across the country. In the footage you are about to see, live action went undercover at Planned Parenthood in New York City. When confronted with a blatant request for a sex-selective abortion, Will Planned Parenthood condemn, condone, or facilitate the discriminatory killing of a baby girl? Hi. Are you Randy? I am. We decided, you know, we've had a daughter, we'd really like to have a son, and but um, I found out I was pregnant. It, it looks like it's going to be a girl, another girl. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're like, okay, here we are again. You know, it's not, it's not really, it's not what we're looking for right now. Mm -hmm. You do ab abortions up to how long? Twenty-four weeks. Twenty-four. Uh huh. Twenty-four. Uh huh. Do you know at what stage generally they tell on an ultrasound? At what point in pregnancy you can tell yeah. um, the sex of the, exactly. of the pregnancy? You know, it depends on what type of testing, you're, prenatal testing you're doing. So if you were to have um, what's called a CVS test, 
which is, do you know what that is? No. So CVS test is done between 11 and 13 weeks of pregnancy. Okay. Um, and it basically tests, you know, it's a, um, a genetic test that's done, but it's just done earlier in your pregnancy, and amnio is done around 16 Later. weeks. This is between 11 and 12, 11 and 13. Mm-hmm. And either of those tests, can confirm tell you what the, what the sex of the pregnancy is. Okay. By sonogram, from what I understand, it's more between 18 to 20 weeks I that see. you can tell the sex of. Certainly by 20, but maybe you know somewhere around 18 is when on a sonogram right. you can check, you can tell the sex of the. Now, pregnancy. are the previous two tests that you mentioned are those definitive? Like, yes. there's no guess guesswork there. Uh huh. And it might be because I could even get the CVS test done now. Yeah, I'm at the stage where I wouldn't have to wait. Yeah, it's between 11 and 13 weeks, and so it is a test that you could do. Now. So I could do that before scheduling even the abortion, just in case it's a boy, and that would be awful. That would be real hard. Yeah, I can absolutely. Um, you would want to obviously because you haven't seen anybody yet. Mm-hmm. You'd want to, you know, see, you'd want to make an appointment with someone as soon as possible. If there is somebody that you guys would recommend mm-hmm. that I could go to just to get the test mm-hmm. so that we know, right. um, because then if we find out that it is a girl, then we, we could terminate earlier rather than having to wait. Yeah. Are there fewer com- complications that way? Yeah. So, you know, with so an abortion up to 20, at any stage up to 24 weeks is considered a safe procedure. Uh-huh. Um, the biggest difference is that um, as you... After 16 weeks, the mm-hmm. procedure becomes a two-day procedure rather than a procedure that's done just on one day. Okay. So it's not that it's unsafe or that, you know, there's a lot more risk involved. It's just there's more steps involved, mm-hmm. and it's just a little more complicated. Right. You know, the further along you are in your pregnancy. Yeah, that, that I mean, it sounds like if we do this test, we can avoid waiting longer. Yeah. And so if you, you know, decide that even if you find out that it's a girl and you decide that that what you would prefer is mm-hmm. to terminate the pregnancy, then that's just your decision. I can tell you that, you know, here at Planned Parenthood, we believe that it's not up to us to decide what is a good or bad reason for mm-hmm. somebody to decide to terminate a pregnancy. If you're already 12 weeks, by mm-hmm. the time you get an appointment to see a doctor first, you have to have an initial consultation, okay. an initial appointment, and then you'd have to schedule the CVS test. Yeah. I think it does take then at least a week to get the results. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So we're probably talking about scheduling for the 14th week of pregnancy? And you guys do that here. Maybe I should go ahead can I schedule that appointment so that I have that on the books? Because sure. we're pretty sure it's, it is a girl again, okay. 80 to 90 percent sure. And then, you know, once we get that confirmation, um, I'll just plan on keeping it. And I'll, I'll call you guys if for some reason we find out it's a boy. Okay. <laughs>
All right. So you're scheduled for Friday the 27th at 8.30 in the morning. Hopefully we will have to cancel it <laughs> if we find out it's a boy, but if not, I will be here on the 27th. Okay. I'm going to stop that clip because, you know, what they say and what they do are two very different things. This gender side is is happening. You know, I reported on this gender side probably uh, a month ago when I did this program on abortion about people in the U.K. are doing this on a regular basis. They're They're aborting their babies according to what the gender is. I mean, how callous can you possibly be? They, it. it this is just incredible to me. And, you know, we're running out of time here. I've only got 35, 40 minutes left, and I've got so much stuff I want to cover here. I may not even be able to get it, get through all of it. But, you know, I I don't know if everybody knows who Margaret Sanger is. She's the um, the creator of Planned Parenthood. And I told you in the beginning of the program about – Margaret Sanger, when she started this, what the original goal was and what their mantra was, this is a racist organization. And I'm not kidding. I'm going to prove it not only through the stories and some of the history in the little bit of time, the half hour, 40 minutes that we have left. I'm going to go through this. But also on the line from St. Louis, I have Pianchi, who I'm going to bring up, um, and he's going to talk about this before we even start in on this. Uh, Pianchi, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. And, you know, as I had mentioned before, you know, I'm African-American. And uh, I had mentioned to you that since 1973, after the Ro- Roe versus Wade decision, up until 2005, that black women had aborted over 18 million babies, which is half of our population today. And uh, you see where the Obama administration have provided federal funds for for Planned Parenthood, where now they're branching out into other continents. I mean, in particular Africa, and they're there in some countries. One I know for sure is Zambia, and these African countries are starting to rewrite their constitution to include that life begins at conception, and also to counter the effects of uh, homophobia, where they want to uh, define marriage as be- being between man and female. But this Planned Parenthood organization is coercing these parliaments to not put life is. A career, uh, life begins at conception in their constitution. And I think it's just deplorable, especially when we're using taxpayers' dollars to fund these type of operations. Chunky, why do you think they're doing that? Why, why, why do you think they're coercing them to not put that in there? Well, they they want they want to have abortions in other countries uh, for convenience. We see it here in our country for for convenience. I mean, listen to the lady that was in the film clip. She said, here I am again. Okay. Well, that means that she's done it before. And it's yeah. not by mistake. It's for convenience. It's not yeah. for her health. It's for convenience. Yeah. And, and our federal and state dollars are going to fund that indirectly, but still going in to make all of those abortions available for people who go in and say they can't afford it. You're absolutely right. How how is it in St. Louis? Where they, are they? Well, have, let me ask you. Yeah, absolutely me, right. They're in the black community. I know what you're getting ready to say. Uh, yep, yep. You're absolutely right. They are. 
Yeah, and do you find any in St. Louis that are in any uh, middle class or uh, white neighborhoods? No, they have one which is centrally uh-huh. located, and uh, it's right on the tip of the African American community. And uh, that's just, you know, it's just a shame, but that's just way that's what's going on. And we have people who are so dedicated. They've been there for years. I, I mean, they've been standing out and providing information, um, waving at cars for decades, literally. Yep. And, uh, you know, one time I stopped and me and my grandson got out and we, uh, you know, participated with uh, the information. Well, good for you. Good yeah. for you. I, I wish we could encourage everybody to do just that, to stop your car and go join in when you see these people. I, well, I think that's a wonderful thing. Well, you know, i tell you, I've talked to some women who have had abortions, and after it's all said and done, it really strikes home. It don't strike home right away, but it strikes home what you've done, and it's kind of difficult to live with, uh, with that psychological effect that it has on your mind. 18 yeah. million by conservative numbers, not the gloom marker, but the Center for Disease Control, 18 million black Americans that have been aborted. And just think of the mind or the possibilities that have just disappeared. Oh, are you still there? Yes, I'm still here. Oh, okay. Um, I, yeah, I also did, uh, in, in the last program that I did on abortion, um, I showed the statistics for the suicide rate for women who have had abortions higher than everybody else's. Um, also, the psychological help that they need afterwards. Uh, this is something that you're absolutely right. It's something they live with for the rest of their lives. Well, you know, in our community, I can't seem to, Dean, you just can't seem to get the churches to speak on it. Other organizations don't speak on it. It's just uh, when you mention something about this, you know, we're talking about the election, and I say, well, suppose you had had those 18 million babies that you was, uh, uh, you aborted. What would that mean in the election? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Well, I'll tell you what. Stay tuned, uh, Bianchi, because I'm going to go through some of this uh, Barbara Sanger uh, Foundation. Um, I'm going to go through, for everybody that's listening, I'm going to go through um, – the criteria, you're not going to believe this sound clip that I'm going to play during this thing, where they try to um, uh, guess the IQ of, of different um, races to decide who they want to target. This yeah. is incredible. Well, Thank sir, you. I just want to tell you I really appreciate what you're doing, and, uh, you know, you're, I mean, it's real good that you're doing this. Thank you very much. Hey, thank you for calling. I appreciate that. All right. Well, you know, that was uh, absolutely incredible timing because we're, <laughs> we're going to talk about something here that's going to strike home for a lot of people. And, you know, I have two videos about abortion on my website, wdeanshook.com. And just go to the videos. When you go to the homepage, just go to the videos, and you'll, you'll see these uh, that explain this whole thing. But I want to – or you can email me at – Contact at wdeanshook.com. So, you know, it says in Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verse 19, I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. That both you and your descendants may live. 
Deuteronomy 30, chapter 19. You know, civil rights doesn't mean anything without the right to life. Because if you talk about civil rights, this is, this is truly a civil rights issue. Not just because somebody is black, brown, yellow, white, or anything else, but because you're discriminating against somebody according to their age and to where they live. And because of their age and because of where they live, which is at that moment inside their mother's womb, people are deciding life or death decisions because of those. Now, you know, the aim of the program of Planned Parenthood, who was founded by Margaret Sangers, the aim of the program was to restrict many belief extreme, um, extremes um, like the black population. Now, under the pretense of better health and family planning, Sanger cleverly implemented her plan. Now, what's more shocking is Sanger's um, beguilement of black Americans. Creme de la creme, those prominent, well-educated, and well-to-do um, in excruciating um, wealth, this, this was part of her scheme. Now, some within the black elite saw birth control as a means to attain economic empowerment, to elevate the race and, and garner the respect of whites. But the Negro Project by Margaret Sanger, this project um, had lasting repercussions in the black communities. We both become victims of genocide by our own hands. This was a, a quote by a man named uh, M. Hunter. This is really eugenics, and this is eugenics of what Margaret Sanger seen as inferior races, blacks and Hispanics. She aligned herself with the eugenics who, and for those of you who don't know what eugenics is, eugenics is a method of, the same method that, that Adolf Hitler used to eliminate what he thought, felt was inferior races. So in his view, the, only, the, the superior race had blonde hair and blue eyes. Anybody else was inferior, almost animal-like, and needed to be, needed to be uh, eliminated. And he did that through a method called eugenics. Now, this is an ideology that prevailed in the earliest 20th century. Eugenics strongly exposed racial supremacy and purity. Eugenics hoped to purify the bloodlines and improve the race by encouraging the fit to reproduce and the unfit to restrict their population. They sought to contain the inferior races through segregation, sterilization, birth control, and abortion. Now, you remember on uh, my last program, I talked about how they sterilized people in North Carolina from 19, 
1940 to 1974, and they did it without these people's knowledge. And they called these people inferior because they were in, in sale asylums, whether they deserved to be there or not. These were people who were in jail, and these were minorities. And say, if you want to be released, if you want to get this, if you want this benefit, if you want to do that, you have to go through this procedure. But they didn't tell them what this procedure was. And thousands of people were sterilized because in North Carolina because they were considered to be inferior. Now, Sanger embraced uh, eugenics uh, in the 19th century, clearly had pro professed a political, economical belief um, that blacks and Hispanics were inferior, that they created social problems such as poverty and depravity and hungry hunger and evidence of, of population crisis. Now, according to George Grant, who condemned charities and other forms of benevolence because he believed that only exasperated the problem by helping the poor and the blacks and the Mexicans, he, his answer was to restrict population growth of certain groups of people. Now, his theories, and this guy was uh, aligned with M Margaret Sanger, his theories of population growth and economic stability became the basis for national and international social policy. He said that all children born beyond that would be required to keep up the population to a desired level, part of the population control, and that anybody who was inferior must necessarily perish unless room is made for them by the death of grown people. So our population cannot grow. They need to keep this population low. That's, that's eugenics. Now, let me play a clip. Now, this clip <clears throat> comes from uh, Planned Parenthood um, and their original idea behind, behind this whole eugenics thing, and they did it according to IQ. Now, Listen carefully to what they say about people's IQs in this, because this is the standard that's been used since 1909 to figure out who to perform these eugenics on. Listen to this clip. Um, the standardized IQ is, if you look at Eurasia, from England all the way through Western Europe out to Siberia and uh, out of Mongolia, the average IQ is 100. And what that means is, in effect, um, the general intelligence or cognitive ability of a 16-year-old. Uh, so that is like the standard benchmark against which everything else is calibrated. And uh, there are various corrections and calibrations that are required of a technical nature, but we won't get into that. Just take my word for it that the average is 100, standardized on Europe, and everything else is relative to that. And so then I'll take your attention to sub-Saharan Africa. There, the average IQ is 70. And in the Western world, we often think of an IQ of 70 as being borderline mentally retarded. Uh, but that's not a, a really useful way of looking at sub-Saharan African IQ. Africans are not borderline retarded. It's much better to look at them as having a mental age relative to the 16-year-olds of Europe of about 11-year-olds. And of course, an 11-year-old is not mentally retarded. An 11-year-old can do, cognitively speaking, all kinds of things. 
uh, they can uh, work in factories and under supervision at pretty high technical levels in factories. They can work in the fields. Obviously, they can make war, houses, and so on. Um, Kalashnikov, who invented the, the great gun that is preferred in South Africa, in Africa, and uh, Southern Asia, says even children can and use this gun and maintain it. Uh, and, and that's sort of like a, a, an estimate of what you can do as an 11-year-old with cognitive ability. Um, now, there are about 60 or 70 studies from East, West, Central, and South Africa, and a lot of people say, well, I just don't believe an IQ of 70 for black Africa. But uh, as I'll come on to, it's a very reliable finding. In fact, as I say, there are 620 studies, so there's a lot of reliability in these measures. Um, if I take your attention now to the yellow part of the map, which is China, Japan, these are, these are East Asians. And it comes as a surprise to some people to learn that East Asians actually have a slightly higher IQ than do Europeans. If the Europeans are standardized to the cognitive ability of about 16, East Asians have a cognitive ability of a 17-year-old. Um, and this is very reliable again. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether you look at the East Asians in China and Japan or whether you look at their immigrants in other countries of the world. Um, it's amazing how critics of IQ studies never ever focus on that particular measure. They only focus on the black Africans being much, so much lower. I should also mention, I suppose, that black Americans, African Americans, have an IQ of 85, which is midway between the sub-Saharan African IQ of 70 and the European IQ of 100. I'll very briefly just mention the um, uh, American Indians, North and South um, America. The average IQ there is about 85. Now, the Hispanic populations that are coming into uh, the United States in particular have a higher IQ than that. It's about 90, maybe even 92, some people will argue. And the um, Hispanics, of course, are a hybrid mixed-race population. All right. Well, there you have it right there. That is their uh, criteria for determining who are desirable and who are undesirable. And they do that according to the IQs, uh, the IQs that they say that those are. Now, we know that this is fundamentally false, that these IQs that they're talking about are their way of justifying what they're doing, it's not necessarily truth. And, and let me tell you, and most of you already know this, you're going to find high IQs and very low IQs in everyone. Go get into traffic and see for yourself. All you have to do is drive in rush hour traffic in any major city, and you're going to see the IQ of everyone on the road drop like a rock. So... You can't tell me that this is according to race and IQ. That that's just that's just baloney. Now, Margaret Sanger built a network of of Planned Parenthood on the idea and resources of the eugenics movement, according to not just the not just the IQs. The IQs are just one area of that, but it's also um, uh, the claim that that lower IQ'd people. Uh, create poverty and hunger and social um, unrest and all of these things, that all of this comes from lower IQ people, and that they have categorized all of these lower IQ people as being blacks and Hispanics, dark-colored, skinned people. And that's why in uh, – go look in the city you live in. 
Now, I'm heard all across this country from coast to coast. Go look in, in your city, if you live in a big city, and see where your Planned Parenthood or your quote-unquote health centers are located. Who are they targeting? Are these in the middle-class white neighborhoods? No, they're not. They're in the minority neighborhoods because that is their target. Their target is racial. Their target is conformed according to everything that they've done, all the statistics they gather to figure out who these people are they want to eliminate. And this was Margaret Sanger's idea from the very beginning that, uh, for, for this eugenics movement. Now, this man, Grant, reported that virtually all of the organization's board members were eugenicists. Eugenicists financial, or financed the early projects from the from the opening birth of con, um, birth control centers to the publishing of revolutionary literature. Eugenics compromised the, the speakers of the conferences, the authors of the literature, the providers of the service, almost without exception. These were people dedicated to eugenics, dedicated to eliminating what they considered to be undesirable people. Now, Planned Parenthood became a legal entity on April 22, 1922 in New York. Before that, Sanger illegally operated a birth control clinic in October 1916 in the Brownsville section of Brooklyn, New York, which eventually closed. Now, this clinic serviced the poor immigrants who heavily populated, populated the area that they, they, they deemed unfit to reproduce. And that's what this is, poor neighborhoods, people of color. These are people, according to them, according to eugenics, and according to the entire population in the beginning of Planned Parenthood was all dedicated toward people they considered to be unfit to reproduce. And this still exists today. And you can look at the numbers yourself. You can look at the numbers and the statistics of who's being targeted, how many uh, abortions, um, they're, they're literally pushing on these people. And when I talked earlier about them coming into schools and, and giving people sex education and condoms and, and that kind of stuff, um, they're, they're also targeting this whole eugenics movement against minorities in that same area where the places, the schools that they go to where they're doing this stuff is predominantly minority schools. Schools that are populated by minorities, blacks, Hispanics, anybody of color, anybody they consider falls under the criteria of being unfit to reproduce. Now, Sanger's early writings clearly reflect this influence. Let me give you a quote of Margaret Sanger's writings. Here's what she wrote. Organized charity itself is the symptom of a malignant social disease those vast, complex, inerrant organizations aiming to control and diminish the spread of misery and, and all of the menacing evils that spring out of this sinister, fertile soil are the surest sign that our civilization has bred, is breeding, and uh, perpetuating constant increased numbers of defective, delinquent dependents. In another passage, she describes a burden of human waste on society. In charity, 
she says, encourages the healthier and more normal sections of the world to shoulder the burden of unthinking and undiscriminate um, funding of others, which brings with it, as I read must agree, a dead weight of human waste. Instead of decreasing and aiming the ultimate that stocks uh, that, that are most determined and the future of the race, it tends to rather to render them to a menacing degree of dominance. And she concluded and said the most serious change that can be brought against modern benevolence is that it encourages the perpetuation of defectives, delinquent, and dependents. They're the most dangerous element in the world community, the most devastating curse on human progress and expression. And she's talking about these very people who they are targeting. It now remains for the U.S. government to set a sensible example to the world by offering a bonus of yearly pension to all obviously unfit parents who allow themselves to be sterilized by harmless and scientific means. She wants to sterilize these people. In this way, the moron and the diseased would have no prosperity to inherit their unhappy condition. The number of the feeble-minded would decrease and a heavy burden would be lifted from the shoulders of the fit. She said a bonus would be a wise, profitable, and the salvation of American civilization. She presented her idea to Mr. C. Hartle Smith of the New York um, Evening World. And she did it concerning the Welfare Committee in New York City. She said people must be helped to help themselves. Any plan or program that would make them dependent and doles out charities of any value, she increased. Uh, um, she said it would be called a, a program of public welfare. Uh, we know that this is where she started in New York City, and she started in the minority neighborhoods. She started with immigrants, poor immigrants, blacks, and Cubans that were coming over. This was her target. This is who they're talking about. This is when they came up with this whole idea behind uh, the IQ test and gave everybody an IQ, whether it fits them or not. And that's the hard part of this. They, they, they're labeled with this IQ, whether that's their IQ or not. They call for women to receive birth control advice in various situations, including the woman or man who had transmittable disease such as insanity, feeble-mindedness, epilepsy, or syphilis. The children already born were subnormal or feeble-minded. The father wages, wages were inadequate to provide for their children. And in this Harlem clinic in 1929, 10 years before Sanger created the Negro Project, quote-unquote, the Negro Project. That's what she called it. That's what she wrote about for since 1909 to 1929, called the Negro Project. She wasn't even shy about it. And she laid the groundwork for a clinic in Harlem a largely black section of, of New York City. It was the dawn of the Great Depression, and for blacks that meant double the misery. Blacks faced harder, harsher conditions of desperation and uh, 
because of widespread racial prejudice and discrimination. Planned, from Planned Parenthood's perspective, Harlem was the ideal place for this experimental clinic, and it was experimental at the time, which officially opened in November 21, 1930. Many blacks were looked to escape their um, adverse circumstances and therefore did not recognize the eugenics underlying current and the clinic's involvement in this. The clinic relied on the generosity of private foundations to to stay in business. In addition to being thought of as inferior, it represented the underclass according to the clinic's own files used to justify its work in uh, on blacks in Harlem during this quote-unquote Negro project. From the very beginning, this has been their idea. It still stands today. And all you have to do is go look where they're at. Go look where these clinics are at. And people are standing up for these people. They're standing up for Planned Parenthood and say, this is a woman's health. They say, we need these places. Give them our tax dollars. No, we pull our tax dollars. We send these people right back into the dumper where they belong. This is, this is fact, folks. This is not my opinion. They also say that we segregated in overpopulated areas 224,000 of 330,000 in greater New York. They segregated them into this Harlem neighborhood where they started setting up these, cl these clinics. This was in 1920s through the 1930s. It was comprised 12% of New York City's population, but according, um, accounted for 18.4% of New York City's unemployment, had an infant mortality rate of 101 per every 1,000 births, compared to 56 among whites. There's the numbers right there to prove exactly what I'm saying. Had a death rate from uh, uh, tuberculosis of 327 per 100,000. That was the highest in central Harlem out of all of New York City. After they segregated these minorities into this one area, started setting up these clinics and using eugenics to eliminate any reproduction because they felt they were not fit for it. They were not fit for reproduction. I'm telling you, folks, all of you who are supporting this, who are so politically correct, all of you who are saying that uh, uh, we need to be fair for everybody and, and abortion needs to be wide open no matter what. Well, you know, we only have a few minutes left, but let me say this, that when the parents commit a crime, whether it's a moral crime or a legal crime, who pays who pays the price for the for that crime? If an uncle rapes a niece, who pays the price? The price is death. That's the sentence, death. If Uncle Bob rapes niece, Nancy, <laughs> what's the sentence? The sentence is death for the baby. That's the sentence. Because the uncle gets a slap on the hand. He gets a slap on the hand, and the real price is paid by the baby, and the price is death. So you think about how fair that is. For all of you who are so hyped up on, on what's fair, why does the baby have to pay the price for the sins of the parents? Is that fair? Well, 
if you say, yes, that's fair, that that's the way it needs to be, then maybe you're part of this eugenics and you just don't realize it. Now, you, you know, I've only got four minutes left. I'm going to continue this tomorrow. Now, tomorrow I'll be on at 8 p.m. I want everyone to come back because I have just started on this. I've got so much more. You can contact me on my webpage, wdeanshook.com. Go watch the videos. Just go to the webpage, click on videos, and there's two videos there that will tell you everything you need to know about how, how quickly they uh, feel pain about what the abortion thing is all about. Or you can email me at contact at wdeanshook.com. I'll be back at 8 o'clock tomorrow. Come back. Join me to finish this conversation. In the meantime, I'm going to uh, play a song, which I didn't even have time to get to, by the Wright Brothers, simply entitled, Speaking of Abortion, that I want to live. Down on their knees 
It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.